I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. For episode 52 of the Intercooler podcast, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Lots of topics to discuss. None of which, though, Andrew, are sort of more important than than Sabine Schmidt's passing away. Um, we heard the news very sadly last week that she died. She'd been battling cancer. Um, she was only 51 years old. Um, and uh, it's just it's just so sad. I think the the sort of outpouring of respect and admiration for her on social media was extraordinary. And it just it made me realize actually how how liked and respected she was. Yeah, I mean, I, what, what surprised me was the way it actually went. It went way beyond it being the sad news of her passing, way beyond our world. I can remember looking at, you know, if you go on the BBC um, website and there's always this um, this sort of thing of what's the most read thing on the website. And she was right up there. And and it's not as if there's not a lot of news around at the moment in, 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 in other parts of the world. Um, and... You know, she clearly had a connection to people way beyond what we think of the sort of rather small enclave of people who, you know, idiots like us who do what we do. Um, and yeah, yeah, she was on, she was, she was on Top Gear, but she wasn't on there, you know, all the time. And yet there was something about her, um, that was, I think, I, th- I think the thing about her is, you know, very, very sadly, I never met her. Um, and I would, I would have just loved to because she just struck me as being absolutely authentic. You know, there are some people who go on there and you can see, well, that's fine, they're presenting. And you, you can imagine that, in fact, I've met some of them. Um, you know, guys like someone like Harris is absolutely off the camera, the same person that he is on the camera. Uh, and others clearly are not. Um, and Sabine, you can just sort of see that that's the person. And, you know, that bright, warm, bubbly, but still strong and impressive, um, not to mention super talented person. Um, that is, you know, coming out the screen at you is, is quite clearly who she was. And I think that, you know, all the stuff that she did, um, and more importantly, the way that she did all that stuff, always with a smile on her face, always aware of how lucky she was to be able to do what she did, um, is probably what people connected to. And it's just, yeah, I mean, you know, coming after Murray, I and mean, Murray passing, you know, he was an absolute legend, obviously, but he was 97, you know. I don't think any of us would complain if, if you know, if, if we went at that age. But 51, 
you know, I'm 55. Um, and yeah, it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem fair, does it? Um, and it's, it's just really, really sad. Um, and, you know, the people I know who did know her are, are in bits about it and understandably so. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it, her profile more generally, it really stemmed from that first appearance on Top Gear, didn't it? When Clarkson went out there in a yeah. diesel S type. I could do that lap time in a van. And that, that one line really rocketed her to a kind of superstardom. Also with, you know, just the average man in the street. I think I wrote that in a piece that we posted um, when she passed away. I said that um, to the man in the street, she will always be the German woman who mocked Clarkson with that immortal line. Um, and then, but the, the thing, but she was really a heroic figure at the Nürburgring long before she ever appeared on television. Um, she won She won the 24-hour race there twice in the 90s, back-to-back wins. She's still the only woman to have won the race. Um, and she was smoking everybody in the ring taxi um, long before she appeared on Top Gear, wasn't she? Yeah, and actually, and she was... She was she, I mean, I, I, so I can remember going to the, one of my early um, trips out there long before she was on Top Gear, and she was a sufficient legend that, you know, I just wanted to go in the ring taxi because you just do, don't you? You go there, you know, everybody's got to have a run around the ring taxi and just really, really hoping um, that it was going to be Sabine driving and it wasn't. It was some um, hairy-ass bloke and, you know, and that was fine. But, um, yeah, even then, she was a, she was an absolute local legend. Yeah. What, what a loss. What a shame. I know. It, do you know what? It's a, it's a horribly clinical way of measuring these things. But, when I look at the stats, right, on our Insta post, um, where we announced that she'd passed away, they're just extraordinary for us. It, that post has been liked almost 13,000 times. Now, if, if, a, if a normal post gets liked 1,300 times, we'll think that's done quite well, haven't we? wouldn't we? But 13,000 is just well beyond our, our normal expectations. I know there's a bit of Instagram algorithm there, but... It does demonstrate to me just how popular she was. Yeah, yeah. About people identified with her, how people admired her, connected with her. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was lovely to see that. You know, that people felt, you know, sufficiently strongly about it just to just 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 to sort of even if you just sort of click that like thing, it's just sort of saying, yeah, I get this, I understand this, I know who this person was, um, and and we share in that sense of loss at her passing. Mm. Yeah, we definitely do. Ah, well, bless her. Okay. Um, so let's move on then, Andrew. Another thing that we posted on Instagram last week was about our new tagline. Um, and it, we've got a new tagline. That's fun, isn't it? The, the, the point is, we have a new digital magazine on the way. Um, and over the next few days, next couple of weeks, you're going to hear everything there is to hear about it. We're going to tell you who's going to be writing for us because it's not just you and me. Um, Andrew, we've got a whole team of people lined up. (laughs) Um, And we're shooting for the stars with this thing. It's going to be a much, much bigger product than the Intercooler or Drive Nation ever has been. Um, And so just stay tuned because we will will tell you more. But we need a tagline. Sorry, just before you do that, the the one thing I would just add in there is that you know whatever we're going to go and do 
Um, and we're really excited about it. It is unlike anything else that's been done. And the people we're going to be working with are just kind of, I barely believe it's going to happen. But nevertheless, what isn't going to change is the Instagram site. So, you know, the 43,000 people who follow us, and we're still going to be doing that every day. That's not going to change. So I don't want anybody to think that, you know, we're going to, whatever we're going to do is going to be instead of, it's not, it's going to be as well as. Um, so I just, I just think that's an important point to, to get across. Sorry. Yeah, to fair enough. No, yeah. That's okay. No, you're, you're quite right. And nor are we putting what we've been doing for almost three years behind a paywall. That's, that's not what we're doing. Um, it's, it's, um, it's going to be much, much bigger, uh, much more ambitious, much grander. And I think you'll like it. But we needed a tagline. So we, we needed something um, just to embody what it was that we stood for. And we went back and forth on this for weeks, didn't we? I mean, the funny thing is that everybody who listens to this podcast, I mean, it, you know, people are very kind about it, but occasionally they do say, <laughs> I do wish you two would stop agreeing with each other. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and, and it's true because we think quite similarly in, in, in about things like cars. We do end up thinking, you know, quite, you know, uh, the same sort of thing about thing. We didn't think similarly about our tagline at all. Um, and, you know, however much we may agree in public and private, you know, we, we, we struggle with this. We came up with all sorts of stuff and, you know, you were sort of, well, you know, lukewarm what I was saying and I was, you know, fairly tepid. And, and, we, and we just didn't, we just couldn't think of what it's going to be. We knew what we wanted to say, but we took, we needed like 20 words to say it. Um, and you can't do that. It's got to be short and it's got to be snappy and it's got to be, it's got to endure. So it can't even be some, you know, some fun play on words because those things, you know, once you've heard the joke, you kind of heard the joke. So it's just got to be something which is real and short and snappy and punchy. And we couldn't think of it, could we? Have you got the book on your shelf behind you? Oh. Um, <laughs> is it out of reach somewhere? <laughs> no, it's not. It's, 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 actually, it's right here. It's right by my side. So, yes. There it is. There it is. If you're watching on YouTube, um, you'll be able to see that Andrew's holding a book called Where the Writer Meets the Road. Uh, it's a book by Sam Posey. And we've adopted that as our own, that, that title, Where the Writer Meets the Road. That's, that is the Intercooler's new tagline. Um, I think it, it speaks about, well, it, our magazine is going to be full of the best writing that there is out there. Okay? So it's important that we get across the message that we are a team of writers. Okay? That's what we do first and foremost. Um, and Where the Writer Meets the Road. Lots of titles are more interested in industry or in design or whatever it is. We're about cars and driving, right? So we had to get that across as well. Um, and so it just, it just works really well for us, doesn't it? But there's an added significance. Yeah. Um, so this came about because um, you and I were in a meeting. We have, um, we have an investor who's uh, an amazing bloke and um, has been a colossal help to us um in, in many many more ways than um helping us out a bit on the financial side um but we were kind of having this conversation with him we were just going we can't think of anything we can't think of anything and i was literally i was casting around these bookshelves up here kind of in desperation looking around for inspiration and then i just suddenly saw it i just saw you know i just saw this you know where the writer meets the road down there um and i held that up and he just said that's it that's it and in six words sam posey had said um, everything that we wanted to. So, um, uh, and I suppose we could have just thought, well, we're just going to do it. We'll just go and nick it um, because, you know, it's not copyrighted or anything. Um, but uh, when I was editing Motorsport a million years ago, um, I once got 
So, so let, first of all, let me tell you who Sam is for people who don't know Please him. Please do. Um, because there's every reason why he shouldn't, because, you know, he's not a famous bloke in motor racing world. He should be. He did a couple of F1 races. I think he started a couple of US Grand Prix. Um, but he did a lot of IndyCar racing over there. He did a lot of um, Trans Am racing. Uh, and he did a lot of sports car racing. So in 1970 and 1971, people always remember those are the 917 years because 917s just took over. The, and yeah, fine. If you weren't in 917, you, ain't, you weren't winning the race or getting anywhere near it. The first car home in both of those 917 years was a Ferrari 512 driven by Sam. So that's that, kind of the that level. That wasn't it a was 917, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And they were private cars. So these weren't even like works factory cars with all the best bits on them. Um, so that gives you an idea of, you know, a, what a great peddler this bloke was is um and um yeah i commissioned him to write a story uh about mark donahue back in the days when i was editing motorsport um because um i just wanted somebody who knew him and i didn't know anybody who did but brian redmond told me that sam posey was great mates with him and i didn't realize that sam could write but i just sort of kind of rang him up and um and said well can you do it i'm thinking to myself i have to rewrite it when it comes to it. and this story came in and it was just it was just beautiful it was just absolutely beautiful the sort of thing that if a bona fide paid up permanent full-time professional journalist had written i would just be going wow that's fantastic um and th- I mean, this guy could just he, he just writes so beautifully um and so anyway so when we decided to that this was the thing you know i you know i i needed to get his blessing i just i just couldn't i just couldn't nick his idea um and i'd lost his contacts but i got hold of david hobbs who is another great underrated british racing driver living who's been living in the states for years um and he actually wrote the foreword for that book. So David gave me Sam's contacts. Um, Sam is 76 now. He's had Parkinson's for years. So he's not, he's not in the best of health. Um, but he just said yes. He just said, great idea. Good luck. Help yourself. And it was, it was just lovely. So, you know, not only have we got the, the name, but we've got the man's uh, approval to use it too. So, yeah, thank you, Sam. Um, I don't suppose you'll ever see this, but if you do, really seriously appreciated. And um, yeah, we hope you agree with us that it's when you see what we're up to, that it is the best way in six short words of defining uh, what we're all about. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it works as a tagline on its own. But the fact that it's the title of Sam Posey's book just gives it gives it that extra dimension, doesn't it? And so this guy was a phenomenally skillful driver and by all accounts, a great writer as well. Um, I suppose that's what you and I are shooting for and will always shoot for for the rest of our careers and get hopelessly nowhere near. But there we go. You've got to aim for something, haven't you? Um, so there yeah. we go. That's, I mean, that's, why, that's why we have this tagline. It's great, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I will never, ever be able to drive a tenth as well as Sam Posey could drive. Um, but I thought I might be able to outright out, out <laughs> the average racing guy. But actually, now I've seen what he's written... Um, yeah, uh, I'm not sure that I can. Um, but seriously, anybody who's interested in the story, go and get a copy of this. Go and read the story uh, he writes about. He's, he, he did a bit, bit in there about trying to sleep at night when your teammate's out in the car at Le Mans. Um, it's absolutely, I mean, I just, you know, it's just for pure writing. Uh, it's, it's beautiful stuff. It's as, it's as good writing as I've ever read in the field of automotive journalism. And he's not even a journalist. How annoying is that? Oh, that is so irritating, isn't it? That's really frustrating. <laughs> you and I work our socks off trying to write, yes. and 
this bloke comes along who's also stood at the podium at Le Mans and does better than us. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's, I'm quite happy to give that book a plug, Sam Posey, Where the Writer Meets the Road. And that's our tagline. Yeah. Um, good. Okay. Well, let's keep clipping on. Um, I want to talk about Jensen Button. Um, because oh, yes, of course. You and Jensen have been chatting, haven't you? We've been chatting, yeah. Now, he, so the, he's got a new project, which is relaunching Radford, a British coach builder from the 50s and 60s. Um, and they did some interesting stuff back in the day with Rolls Royces and Bentleys and Minis. Um, quite a famous name from coach building, actually. And Button is bringing it back with a bunch of others, um, including Ant Anstead, the TV presenter and car builder, um, also a British, uh, another third British, British guy called Mark Stubbs, who's a designer, um, and a, an American chap called Roger, who's the sort of the business brains behind the operation, I suppose. Um, and this, so they're bringing this, this company back, and it basically gave me an opportunity to sit on a Zoom call with a bunch of them, including Jensen, which I was just so delighted about because the bloke is a hero of mine. Um, I remember... I'd, I had a slightly unusual introduction to Formula One because about the time where I was becoming aware of it, we were right in the midst of the Schumacher Ferrari years. And it, you, you're not going to get hooked on... The, I suppose it's similar to the Hamilton era at the moment. You're not, you're, as a newcomer, you're not going to get hooked on the sport if it appears that the same bloke's winning every other, other, other weekend. Um, yeah. e- even if I, you're a fan of the bloke. Yeah. It's just not yeah, exciting, right. is it? Yeah, it's not exciting. And there's this young British guy who seemed like a lot of fun um, called Jensen Button. And most of the time he was, you know, hanging around mid pack or the towards the back of the grid somewhere. But then there was that racing in Hungary. Was it 05 or 06? I, I forget. I think it was 05, wasn't it? And he won a race, an F1 race for the first time. And I was so excited. I leapt out of my skin. You know, I was, I was, it was like my football team had won the Premier League or something. I, I loved it. And from that moment, I was hooked. The trouble is, Button then had his lean years, didn't he? With that, yeah, didn't, yeah. that Honda Earth Dream car. And all of a sudden, my favourite driver's just at the back of the field. And there's not a lot of fun to be had from watching, watching that happen. But he never complained, did he? Or if he did, it was so rare. And, and, and I just thought that that really spoke about the calibre of the man. Because you know, there was that talent, you know, a talent that we know was good enough to win a world championship. And thank goodness he got that opportunity. Um, and yet all those years um, in those cars that just weren't as good as the bloke who was driving them. And he he was just always the team player, wasn't he? He was always just, you know, well, we're going to keep on plugging with you. And he kept a smile on his face. And, you know, you wrote a thesis, didn't you, on um, on the Intercooter last week about drivers flouncing off and getting, you know, hot on the collar and shirty without perhaps necessarily realising how lucky they are to be doing that job in the first place. Um, and he was never like that. And he almost more than any of them had grounds to. Um, yeah, yeah really that's impressive. right. And, and, then, and then 2009 happened for him. He won the championship and he was a hero of mine from that moment on. Um, I, I kind of feel that he, he had a couple of good seasons after that with McLaren, didn't he? He won a handful of races but he was never in a championship-winning McLaren or a, a championship-competitive McLaren. Um, and I just think if, if he had been um, perhaps a few years earlier at that team, maybe he, or, or if the McLaren had been better during that sort of 2010 to 2013 period, um, perhaps he would have nicked a couple more titles or at least one more. So, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, 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 th- I think you've also got to look. I mean, I know a lot of people, and in fact, I, I fear I might have been one of them, who saw his move to McLaren and I thought, well, why are you going to go up against Lewis? Because you're just going to get lunched. 
And he didn't. You know, he was, you know, okay, there was Fernando at the beginning. But since then, I mean, you know, he was the most competitive teammate that Lewis ever had. And actually, I, I did it once. I went and looked at their stats and looked at it. And there was, there was like this between them. Can I tell my Jensen Button story? You can. Okay. Go so, for it. I can't remember when this was, but it was probably uh, eight, nine years ago. Um, and I was at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Uh, and a client, can't remember who, um, had asked me to go round um, on the Sunday afternoon to various famous people um, in the drivers' club and just ask them one question, which was, "What's the most impressive thing you've seen this weekend?" And I, I was doing this, and I, various people were talking about various people who'd driven various cars, and that was fine. And then I got to Sterling Moss, um, and I said to him, "What's the most impressive thing you saw this week?" And he went, "Oh, it was Jensen." I thought, oh, that's fair enough. I think Jensen had been up in the brawn or something. Um, and I said, what, he, he drove it really well, didn't he? He said, oh, I didn't see him drive the car. Oh, um, I don't know what you mean then. He said, well, I'd gone up and he'd gone up in something. And he said, I was at the top. Um, and if you haven't driven at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, and I'm guessing not many people listening to this will have done, um, what happens is once you've gone past all the crowds, there's a massive assembly area at the top where all the cars wait until the last car comes up and then you all go back down the hill. Um, and that's actually when all the drivers get out of their cars and they have a good powwow and we all chat to each other and so on and so forth. Um, and it's great. And there is actually a big, big grandstand up there, um, but we're just kind of all chatting to each other. And Jensen, and what struck Sterling is the most impressive thing that happened that he saw that entire weekend was Jensen came up in the car, got out of the car, ignored every other driver up there and just spent the entire time that they were waiting with the crowd, signing autographs, doing selfies, and just being there for his fans. He realised what was actually important. And with the rest of us, you know, we're just going chat, 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 chat. And Jensen actually was the guy who actually thought, no, that's not what I'm here for. Um, and Sterling just said that was the most impressive thing he'd seen all weekend. And I think, again, that just shows um, the calibre of the man. Mm, it does. He's very forthcoming, very generous. And I saw that on this call that, that I did uh, with him and his colleagues. And we did this thing over Zoom. So there are six of us, five of us on this call. I'm trying to conduct an interview. It's not the easiest thing to do because no, the sound not. quality is not great. Everyone's chopping, yeah, jumping exactly. in yeah, over yeah. one another. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult to do. But he and um, Ant Anstead made it really easy, actually, because they were, they were very forthcoming, very generous with their time. Um, and it, it, they were just a pleasure to talk to. So I'm going to play a little bit from uh, the interview now. The first voice you'll hear is Ant's. And then, of course, Jensen comes in. So have a quick listen. We, we, talk, we talk very um, passionately with this project. Uh, the word timing uh, keeps coming up. And it's because it is, you know, kind of fascinating timing. If you think about the timing of particularly Mark Jensen, I three Brits just happened to be here in California exactly the same time. We happen to be exactly the same age. Uh, we happen to be one a designer, one a builder, one a driver at a time where Heritage has now come full circle. It's back. You know, OEMs, Aston are building a DB5s. Jags are building C-types, D-types. Even Bentley are, will offer you a, a 1930s blower. So there's something in the in the air at the moment. And then to to partner up with with Roger whilst reviving this new brand, whilst an OEM or many OEMs are, are willing to partner with us, it's kind of it's all about weird timing. Very excited schoolboys, but with lots of experience and hopefully skill. Um, but uh, this is this is super exciting, and uh, you know, once you you're able to see what what Mark has has designed, it's uh, it's really bloody exciting. Uh, so, Jensen, is is this the sort of thing 
that you imagined yourself getting into once your full-time racing days are behind you or did this just sort of this opportunity appear and you thought I have to well I think I think every driver that races in in F1 you know when they retire they they hope to be probably working with a manufacturer um post F1 uh you know as an ambassador for the future and for me I've I've jumped around with different manufacturers and I've worked with a few uh one in particular but it just didn't go in we didn't go in the same direction with you know thinking about the future um and this I thought was a fantastic opportunity because it's not working with one manufacturer as such but um it's working with um you know a brand that has so much history um obviously puts a lot of pressure on our shoulders because we have to do a fantastic job. Um, but uh, such an exciting brand of, of what they've achieved in the past, Bradford, but also I think what we can achieve with, with new technologies. Uh, also, it's, it's freedom for me. You, know, you don't really get that with manufacturers as such. It's freedom to design and build something that we want uh, within reason. And for me, I can, I can do as much testing as I possibly want and I can adjust the car how I want it, you know, with the motor, with, with, the, with the gearbox, the mechanical grip, the aero. So there's, there's lots to play with. And we can turn things around pretty quickly with new technologies like 3D printing, whether it's the parts or it's a tooling that we're going to be making. So, um, yeah, it's really, really exciting for me and uh, something I'm, I've, I've really enjoyed so far working with these guys and there's there's so much so much to come in a very short space of time so they're not saying an awful lot about what they're up to now they're just announcing this new project relaunching radford as a sort of modern day coach building concern um we're going to see they say that they're working with several oems um and they're not just dropping new bodies on top of existing cars they're really getting stuck into the nuts and bolts engineering as well so they're going to be working on chassis and engines and aero parts as well as the bodies and the cabins um we've spoken quite a lot in the past about what we suspect is a new era of coach building we've said that haven't we that we think that perhaps there'll be companies dropping really beautiful bodies on top of standardized electric platforms but also, it ties into the resto mod thing. We think there'll be companies springing up to restore and modify existing petrol engine cars. Um, you know, similar to to what Singer and uh, Alpha Holics and Eagle have been doing for a while. Um, and it just seems that Jensen and his mates have recognised something similar and are getting in on the action. It's very interesting that this Zoom call that you had with them. They were they're all in LA, I think, weren't they? That's right. Yeah. So, um, okay, so we're recording this on Friday. It goes on Tuesday. But so last Thursday, um, for those listening to this, um, I did two hours on the Smoking Tire podcast. Um, Smoking Tire is one of the really, really big podcasts in the US. A um, couple of great blokes do it, Matt Farrow and Zach Clapman. And um, we were talking about this sort of stuff. And they, out there, they are so far ahead of us um, with um, just creating stuff. The sort of stuff that you were talking. He was telling me about um, there's an electric Ferrari out there. Someone has done an EV 308 GTB. So there's a 308 which caught fire, burned, um, or the engine did. So they pulled that out. And there is now somewhere in California, there's, a, there's an electric 308 uh, running around. And I'm still trying to work out exactly how I feel about that. Um, but no, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, you know, I, I sort of think we are on the cusp of such enormous change. Um, and obviously, EVs, um, present some huge 
challenges to people who love driving cars because of all the things that we've talked about you know weight and recharging and lack of noise and all this sort of stuff but clearly too there are opportunities aren't they um and you know um over there in the US, they're so far ahead. I mean, he, they were saying there are so many businesses which have just sprung up and they're just doing this stuff, exactly what you're talking about. Um, they are just using you know, that kind of roller skate architecture where you can just put any kind of body on an EV. Or, you know, he was talking about a, a Willys Jeep EV that he, so Matt Farrell talked about a Willys Jeep EV that he'd driven. And it's literally, you know, the battery pack is the same size of the same shape and size of the engine. It's almost plug and play. You pull one out and you put the other in, you hook it up to the same gearbox, run it through the same diff and off you go. Um, And that's, you know, I think that's going to be, I mean, it's not going to be the way the world goes, but it's going to be the way that a much larger chunk of the world than we are currently aware of is going to go. And yeah, I mean, I'm interested in it. I want to drive a few of these things. I'm not convinced by them yet. Um, In towns, yeah, clearly um, there's going to be a huge demand for them, but um, at least it's interesting. It seems Radford are going to be doing much. They're not just EVs, actually. They they are going to be working on uh, combustion engine cars. Yeah. Um, I think I think we're going to see their first car later this year. They haven't told me what it is. I don't know. Um, but for example, what if there is a, a client out there or a small number of clients who have a McLaren Senna and they love driving it on track, perhaps, but they get ribbed all the time for the way it looks because it's an unusual looking car. Now, what if? An independent organisation came along, offered a new, very beautiful body for it, and perhaps Jensen Button made some amendments to the way that car drove. That is quite an interesting thing, I think. And I suspect that's the sort of stuff that they're going to be getting stuck into. Um, I don't know, that's a bit of a guess, but we'll see. And I think it's probably, I think it's quite an interesting project. Um, in that whole interview, by the way, it's up on our YouTube channel. Um, the whole thing's also on Instagram, so you can go and watch it if you want to. Jensen also talks a bit more about other stuff. He talks about uh, Extreme E, which he's going to be doing this year. He talks a little bit about F1 punditry and life out in LA. So go and have a watch. He's, I think he's just a good lad, and it was, he, he is genuinely one of my motorsport heroes. So it was just very, very cool to get 20 minutes or so to chat with him. He also said, he also said, uh, he checked out the intercooler while while we were on the call. Um, he he's followed Drive Nation and the intercooler for a while now. But while we were on the call, he he jumped off, had a quick look at it, and he came back. He said, "That's very cool." There you That's go, quite good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, could just be, he, he could just be saying that because he's a nice bloke, or he wants something from us. But I suspect I don't he care. does think it's quite cool. There, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, good. Uh, right. Okay. More important matters, though, Andrew. Much more yeah. important than Jensen Button and his new coach building concern. Yeah. You've bought a car. I've bought a car. That's much. That's more important than anything, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, forget COVID, you know. <laughs> Headline, I, yeah. I've bought a car. Yeah, I bought a car yesterday. Um, yes, so um, I bought a Caterham. Uh, I, I've... I've it's an itch which won't go away. Um, you know, I, I think I've had, I think this is my fourth, but I've not had one for years and years and years. Um, it was kind of when I was a kid, um, I could still remember the, the day I first saw a Caterham go past. It might have even been a Lotus back then. Um, and just looking at this insect light, super low slung thing and just thinking that's, that, that's just a bit of me. That's, and kind of, I've, I've kind of been 
I've been so into them all my life. Um, so before I was a motoring journalist, um, I had a Caterham 7, which I destroyed showing off to my mates at Goodwood back in the mid-80s, I guess. Um, and then um, me and a few of the boys at Autocar, James May being one of them, built a Caterham. Well, we tried to build a Caterham. The idea was that we, we would... Um, carry a, box, a, a load of cardboard boxes into a shed on a Friday evening and drive a caterham out of the same shed on a Monday morning. It didn't quite happen like that, not least because caterham didn't supply enough of the parts. Um, it was missing a steering wheel and stuff like that, um, which was fairly important. Um, but then um, that's the car that we then gave back to caterham. And Jez Coates of caterham described it as the worst built car he'd ever seen. So Caterham then completely rebuilt it for us, and I don't think we put that in the story. But I then ran it as my long term for six months. Um, I did, I did massive miles in it. I, I went cruising around. Um, actually, it was that was the car. I went, I went on holiday in France with them with with, with my then girlfriend, um, and thought to myself, well, if she can put up with this, she she should probably, I, you know, she's probably a, a keeper. <laughs> um, and so, like, I didn't propose to her in it, but I did decide to propose to her in that Caterham. Um, Big and my, my and my then g- girlfriend is now my wife and has been for many many years. Um, so I have that to be thankful to Caterham for. Um, and I then I must have had some money at some stage because I think in about ninety seven ninety eight, I just decided I was going to do one thing I'd never done, which is spec my own Caterham from scratch. Um, and the Superlight R, which then I think turned into the R four hundred, didn't it? Um, had just come out. So with that crazy VHPD one hundred ninety two horsepower one point eight liter K series motor in it so i got one of those I, it was it was it was apparently it was a it was in a color scheme that never been done before it was black with a yellow stripe it looked like a bumblebee uh, and apparently a few have been done like that since um and yeah it was just a mega car um and looking about like is this, the, is this the, the one that you, that you saw at spa years after seven? yes it is, is it yeah it is yes exactly the same car so I don't know why I sold it because I used to drive it out to the Nurburgring. I used to, yeah, there was used to be a company, a track day company called, oh, it'll come back to me anyway. And I used to do some stuff. This is, is actually with the, the, the company that I used to do some instructing at the ring um, for. Um, and, um, oh, it's really annoying me. I've forgotten the name. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so, yeah, I, <laughs> so, so what you, they used to do, they used to go and book two days at the Nurburgring and then a day at Spa on the way home. So you do like three three days one after the other it was amazing wheel talk there you go i remember now um they went bust anyway um and i used to take the seven out and do these things in it and i had a ball and then i sold it and i can't remember why um but a while after that i was at spa doing a track day and i saw the car and the bloke came up to me and went i just love this thing and the the, the only really stupid thing i did was drive it he said you've got to have a go you've got to have a go and he hadn't changed it at all and I just, I just remember doing, I think I, I think I came in early. I was so miserable. I just think, you know, I was such an idiot. You have sold this thing. Um, and yeah, that was 23 years ago, I suppose. Um, and although I've driven a thousand since, I've not owned one. Um, and then I, what did I do? I sold my 205 GTI uh, on collecting cars. And I was very lucky because a couple of people really wanted it. So there was a bit of a bidding war and I just got much more money for it than I, I thought I would. Um, so I found myself, and, and so what I should have done always is you, you you then bank the cash, don't you? You kind of make, you know, you, you just kind of, you know, make a bit of a hole in the mortgage. But I, I didn't do that. I bought a caterer. Good um, work. So 
The caterham I have bought is a car I didn't think existed because people in those caterhams will know that in the old days they made live axle cars with four-speed gearboxes and old pushrod Ford Kent engines. And then um, sometime in the late 1980s, early 1990s, they started making cars with um, you know, almost proper De Dion rear suspension and they had modern Rover K-series engines in them and five- or six-speed gearboxes and you know everything kind of changed there. Um, but what I really wanted was... Um, a car with an old Kent engine in it, just like the car that I'd written off at Goodwood, because I just love the motor in that. I mean, it's not a great motor, but it has got so much character. But I couldn't put up with the fact that I wouldn't fit in the thing, and the ride quality would be terrible. It would only have four gears and all this sort of so all the limitations of the old Caterhams. And then suddenly, um, I was cruising around all the websites of people who sell these things, and there's a company called Sevens and Classics, which is run by a bloke called Andy Noble, who used to be the sales director at Caterham. Uh, and Andy, I've known for years and years and years, and I just, I just like him and I just trust him. And he suddenly, and suddenly on his website, this car turned up. So it's a 1997 car, so very much from the modern era. So you know, with the Dion axle and the long cockpit, which means I fit in the thing, but it had a crossflow in it. And I, you know, I kind of forgotten they even made these cars because there was actually some crossover between the sort of K-series cars and the crossflow cars. Um, and uh, I, so I just went down there and I, you know, and, and the stupid thing is I kind of, I kind of knew I'd buy it the moment I got in the thing. Uh, I ran it around the block, drove it for about 10 miles, came back and went, yep, fine, I'll have it. So, yeah, so they've got to do a few things to it. They've got to drop the floor a bit because I can get a bit more comfortable and put a spacer on the steering wheel. But the car is, you know, the engine is... You know, although it's the original 1997 engine, it's brand new because some mad Frenchman rebuilt it um, two years ago and it's done no miles since. Uh, and I, I just couldn't be more excited. It's not, you know, it's not a flash K-Tram. It's never going to go near a racetrack. I'm just going to use it for bimbling around here. Uh, and hopefully all my mates will come over and they can bimble about in it too. It's, it's one of those cars that, you, you know, half the fun is just watching your mates drive it. And just particularly if they'd never driven a K-Tram like that before and just seeing how much fun you can have in 15 grounds worth of motor car because it's off the scale um, so um so when i've got it why don't you and i why don't you take your alpine and i'll take my caterham and you know the two more different approaches to the business other than being kind of really really light but to the business of having fun on four wheels you, you you'd struggle to find um but they both do their jobs in such utterly different ways so well i think we could we could do a little bit about that couldn't we yeah definitely yeah that'd be great so we'll see your car on the intercooler soon we'll get it together with my car we'll swap seats um you've not yeah. driven my car yet actually no. um yeah that'd be fun great well congratulations on your your Thank new you. caterham that's I, exciting I on, yeah do i bang on a bit too much about that i just you know, the problem with thing when, when the subject all. is caterhams the moment you, you start me i'm quite difficult to stop i could do another <laughs> 20 minutes if you like that's fine we'll we'll do we'll revisit it later on once you've actually got the car we should probably let you take delivery first shouldn't we before yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. talking Minor about detail. it again yeah yeah good Great. Uh, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more. Um, okay. Final thing that I want to discuss this week on the podcast. Um, Aston Martin uh, today actually have announced uh, a new Vantage. Um, it's called the Vantage F1 edition. Not many road cars have carried F1 badging, have they? Well, I can think of a McLaren. Um, beyond that, yeah. yeah, there's not much, is there? It's interesting. I think you can get an F1 cockapoo. That's a bit different, um, but the, this what's an this F1 van- cockapoo? I'd have, I don't know. I'd have to ask someone, but it's it's to do with their, how they're bred and what what its parents are or something. I don't know. I think so, it's a first generation cockapoo. <laughs> so, it's, so, anyway. so it's really really fast, but it breaks down fast. all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's lightweight. Yeah, loads of power. Um, so Aston Martin have done this 
F1 uh, edition Vantage. Now, it's, it's partly because they're going back to F1 this season, um, but also because they're sharing uh, safety car responsibilities with uh, Mercedes-AMG this year, aren't they? Um, so we will see Vantages running around at the front of the pack uh, and DBX at the back of the pack as well as the, the medical car. Um, and so to, to bring the Vantage up to scratch for safety car duties, they did a bit of re-engineering on it. They, uh, and what they've effectively done is transposed all that engineering work onto a version of the Vantage for sale to the public. Um, it's the most powerful version of the current Vantage um, with, what have we got, 535 PS. So what's that, 527 BHP or something like that. Okay, so it's like, what, um, 25 more than it's got normally? So exactly, like 25 It's, it's more. Sort of like a 5% upgrade. So, so, so it's something. You'll, you'll notice it, but it's not... It, it's something. Um, but they've done a lot of fine-tuning work to the steering and the suspension and the aero as well. Um, it sounds like they've gone deep with the chassis, actually. And I quite like this line. Improve lap time performance in order to successfully carry out its role on the F1 track, but without compromising its on-road capabilities. Notably, it would do so without the fitment of aggressively track-optimised tyres. So that's quite good, isn't it? They're not just slinging a set of Cup 2s on it. They're, they're finding um, improvements in the chassis itself. I think that's, a, that's quite a neat approach. That's quite, in- that's quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, is it a mm. limited edition car, or is it... Have they said that? Or what they're going to charge mm. for it, or...? Yeah, they're charging 142k for it. Uh, it's on sale now. Um, deliveries begin in May, actually. So it's, it's and, actually and, not and, that much and, more expensive. And, and, and if, it, if, it was limited, if it was a limited edition, they'd have said so, wouldn't they? So we, I think we can presume it's yeah. not. Yeah, well, I, think I think that's I right. Think, I think they will do... I mean, you gosh, there's no secret, is it, that they've struggled with that car? Um, you know, um, you know the, certainly from the first off, um, sales were not what they um, hoped that they would be. Um, I think the perception is that they, the styling wasn't great and the price point was wrong. Um, but I think, you know, it, I mean, clearly it doesn't need another 25 horsepower. And, 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 and you know, to be a safety car in Formula One, I'm quite sure that you, know, you could provide perfectly adequate safety car um, facilities on 503 horsepower. But I think that the way that they are leveraging that uh, association, I think it's quite canny. And I think, you know, you can think, well, it's all just cynical marketing, and it probably is. But, you know, these guys have got to sell cars, and I think that's probably quite a smart thing to be doing. Um, I mean, also, to be able to put the F1 on there, I think that there's a certain constituency of punter who thinks that's really, really cool. Um, I bet they've all got grills on them, haven't they? Have any of the pictures, they've all got cars with, with, with the new front grill on it? It's got the new grill. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, but I'll be a fair play to them. Mm. It, it, as far as I can tell, it's eight-speed auto only. Blah, yeah, actually, that's a shame. Um, but I don't know. It'll, it'll be it'll be fun to drive. I I do. I mean, there'll be some very clever marketing people who have looked at this and calculated the TV airtime that they'll get from um, from the safety car stuff that they'll be doing this season. Um, to someone like me, though, and perhaps it's true for you as well, I just wonder how how good that association is because this is the safety car right this is the car that comes out to slow the pack down um it's not the fun car it's not the excitement car is it it's the safety car um (laughs) so i i don't know it seems it seems a bit dubious to me perhaps and i just think if your mate buys one of these cars and you all toddle off to go go for a bit of a drive and you're driving in convoy and he's at the front of the pack in his vantage f1 edition 
Imagine you've all got walkie-talkies. Someone's going to come on the radio and say, can the safety car speed up, please? They just are, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. But actually, gosh, you know, I'm going to disagree with you in public as well as, 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 well as in private. I actually Crikey. think that, um, yeah, it's the safety car. But do you know what? It's an Aston Martin scene leading a pack of Formula One cars. I think, I think, so the, I think the association is. And also... Um, you know what they should do they might get into trouble but what they should do they should they should get burnt mylander they should just say to him look if it's raining okay and the safety car comes out you've just got to do lots of skids yeah <laughs> yeah I know you've, just, should, you, yeah. you've just got to drift it absolutely everywhere because we've got and, and you can say we've got to provide you know while people are waiting for this race to restart we've got to provide them with some entertainment i know that's probably not what a safety car is meant to be doing, but, <laughs> um Actually, yeah, I mean, it's worked for Mercedes, isn't it? Um, you know, they wouldn't have had that AMG GTR out there for as, as long as they have. And, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that um, it's shared duties between Mercedes and Aston Martin. I don't know how, they, I don't know where they're going to alternate. So the safety car and the metal car are going to be Mercedes one race and then an Aston Martin to the next. I don't know how that's going to work. But even for Aston Martin to be seen making those associations, to be in that company uh, and to be leading that field, um you know, I'm not a marketing man, thank goodness, because I wouldn't be very good at it. But um, I suspect it's going to work for them, even mm, if only yeah. to occasionally have to put up a bit of with a bit of stick from their mates. <laughs> You're going to come out one day, and it's going to have an orange light bar on the top and a big sticker down the side saying "Safety Car." Anyway, well, I, I hope I haven't uh, didn't robbed myself of an opportunity to have a blast in this Vantage F1 edition. Um, yeah. Do, do uh, we know it, anything else? So they're going to be. I mean. Okay, it's 25 horsepower, and that's great. I mean, I'm not going to turn my nose, but we know, don't we, um, that that engine will go far further than that. Um, we know also, even though Aston Martin will probably deny it or just say it's so difficult, um, we probably wouldn't do it. But we do know kind of that the, 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 the V12 will go under that bonnet um, because it's the same platform as, you know, as the DBS and the DB11. So I just wonder where Aston Martin's going to go with that car. Uh, I think all I'm trying to say now is, you know, don't think this is the end of that story. Um, this is the last of the performance advantages because I can't see, given that Mercedes now owns more of the company than they used to, given that the old head of AMG is now running the country, country given that we know that engine will go to you know, 600 and plenty horsepower, uh, and given that we know that there's a V12, which will slot in whatever Aston Martin says, um, I think that I, th- I think there could be some. I think there could be a lot coming on that with that car down the road, um, and we, we we may end up at the end of its life feeling very different things about it to what we felt about at the beginning of its life. Mm, interesting. It could evolve quite a long way, couldn't it? That car. Yeah, I mean the Speedster, that windscreenless one. Uh, that's vantage based, isn't it? It's got the V12, so we can be pretty confident it does fit. Um, and the the previous V12 Vantage was such a spectacular car, so characterful. It? It's the best modern Aston Martin. Best, you know, uh, the, actually, the V2, so they, they obviously made the V12 Vantage and then they made the V12 Vantage S and then they put the seven speed manual in the V12 Vantage. I actually think the original car, and they are such good value at the moment. You know, an original V12 Vantage with a six speed manual in it because the seven speed was, you know, it was great that it was a manual V12 Vantage S, but it wasn't actually that great a gearbox. But an old six speed V12 Vantage is probably to me the greatest modern Aston Martin, might even be the greatest Aston Martin. Um, so I just hope that they recapture that um, with this car. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so. Um, okay, well, let's leave it there. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for watching or for listening. Um, and just stay tuned over the next 
week or so, the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned. We're going to be telling you who's going to be writing for our new digital magazine, what kind of form it will take. Um, we've got an awful lot to, to tell you uh, on that front. So stay tuned. Just two things. What I said at the beginning is it's not, we're not going to stop doing any of the stuff that we're already doing. You and I are still going to record these podcasts. Um, the Instagram sites um, will continue. Um, what we are going to be doing uh, is, you know, this is going to be anything other than just another car-themed um, website. Um, it is going to be different, um, both in the way that it is and also the people that we have contributing to it um and yeah i mean it it is a big jump into the unknown it's not something that's ever been tried before um we're confident but you know as i keep on saying to everybody who will listen who's involved with this you know we may judge ourselves by what we feel capable of everybody else will judge us on what we've already achieved so we have no complacency we have no preconceptions but we're going to give it a go and that's that's just really exciting and i really really hope you guys like it i hope that you um you know, come over and enjoy it. And uh, we just really look forward to telling you more about it. Yeah, and we will over the next few days. So stay yeah. tuned. Yeah. Um, thank you again for, for listening, everyone. Uh, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching this on YouTube, go and subscribe to this channel as well. We will be doing more with this YouTube channel. Um, and we'll be back uh, to talk to you all again next week. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks so much. All the best. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.